Well, this morning we are resuming our study in the book of Ephesians. So you can grab your Bibles and you can head to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. The series is called Glory in the Church, and the title today is called The Wow Factor. And the reason it's called that is because the Apostle Paul is showing us just how amazing the good news of Jesus Christ really is, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you can turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, and let's just review where we've been in this study. The book was written by the Apostle Paul. It was a letter, and it was sent to the church in Ephesus. And here's a few pictures of the ancient city of Ephesus. We're not talking mud huts and primitive people here. We are talking about the glorious Roman Empire and one of the key cities in that empire. Here's another picture. Uh, these, this city was filled with some Christians who came from Greek backgrounds, Roman backgrounds, and a Jewish background. They were all together, and they formed this, uh, this strong, powerful church community, and they planted churches, and it was um, one of the centers of development for the church. So here we have the book of Ephesians written to the city of Ephesus by the Apostle Paul. And today we're going to see how the uh, gospel shows that God is doing amazing things in our world, unbelievable things. And uh, each of these points is going to show us just how remarkable it is that God is at work in our world. Let's pray and then we'll get into the word together. Father, I pray that you would show us what you're doing in our world. Show us what you were doing in Paul's world, in the ancient world, and how today you are blowing us away with your activity. I pray that you would reveal to us how you are building your church so that there would be glory in the church and in the world. We pray that you would help us to hear what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, these are just review verses. It's kind of where we left off because we broke for a special series, so now we're back into it. So let's review what we just covered. It says here, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now this is all review, uh, but the first point is this. Wow, God is uniting all the earth in Christ. You can write that down. Wow. Wow, God is uniting all the earth in Christ. There are three pictures here given of how, in the church, God is regathering the nations. He is bringing us back together for his glory. And the first picture is that of a kingdom. It says here, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints. So this idea of citizenship in a kingdom is a really cool idea. It shows that God is building a kingdom and that he's gathering people to be members of this kingdom. And it's not just in the future, like we're going to be in heaven one day. Right here and right now, there are people who have dual citizenship. People who are citizens in the kingdom of God and also in the kingdom of heaven. Now, in the original uh, audience, the original day, they would have thought of the Roman Empire as the most glorious kingdom that had ever existed. Here's some pictures of ancient Rome, kind of reconstructions of it. But Rome was a glorious empire, a wonderful kingdom. And here's another picture of how beautiful the city was. One artist's rendition. And boy, to be a citizen of Rome was a great honor. And if you were a citizen of Rome, you were treated so much better because of its glory. Well, listen, God has a kingdom too. And it says here in verse 19, we are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints. 
In Jesus Christ, in the church, we become citizens of God's glorious kingdom. And this image, like all the images that describe the church, show two things. That we are united. We are all in the same country. We are all citizens of the same kingdom. And it also shows the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he is the king. So we're under his authority and we are united to one another. Uh, The next picture is that of a household. It says here, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So there's this idea that we are family. Together, we are family because we are made up of the household of God. And this is a wonderful picture of how God is gathering people from all over the world. He's adopting them, rescuing them, and bringing them into his family throughout all of the ages. And we are going to become not just strangers to God, but actually family, actually relatives. This also shows how Jesus is supreme because he's the firstborn. He's the one who is entitled to the full inheritance of the Father. And Jesus is the only eternal Son of God. The rest of us have been brought into the family by faith, but guess what? We are also members of the household of God. We've been adopted into his family, and therefore heaven is going to be made up of God's children from every nation, tribe, and tongue, and from all over the world. I saw a cool article recently about uh, an author named A.J. Jacobs, and he uh, likes to do things that catch headlines. And so what he did was he spent a year um, putting together the world's largest family tree through like Ancestry.com and all those different websites. He spent over a year compiling the world's largest family tree. And then after he did that, this is back in 2015, he invited people to come from all over the world for a global family reunion. And they did. People came to his reunion in New York from countries as far away as New Zealand and Brazil, along with a diverse cast of celebrity speakers and musicians. Uh, And they gathered to emphasize a basic but uplifting idea that we're all more related than we thought. The results were fascinating from his study. Overall, his project found connections between some 77 million people And he discovered that in his own past, he had family ties to celebrities such as Daniel Radcliffe, Olivia Wilde, and even President George Bush. He found out that he could tie his family tree to theirs. Um, One person said this, We tend to think of members of our family as people we protect and sacrifice for and care for, and that tends to be limited to a very small group. But if you think of the extent to which your connections are much broader and more surprising than you know, then maybe those feelings of generosity and kindness can broaden also. So here's a picture of that family, that global family reunion. And this is like what heaven's going to be like. We're, we're going to be people from every nation, tribe, and tug, and we're going to be uh, gathered together as family Not because we find some distant relative that ties us together, all that'd be kind of cool, but because we've all been brought into the family of faith and we're members of God's household. It's going to be the biggest family reunion ever. And there's also this idea of being a household, being a kingdom, and then also a building. It says here that we are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So here's a picture of the temple in Jerusalem or a remake of it, but that was God's presence on earth in the very holiest place, the central place that was God's presence. And so to say that's us, not just me, but but us, there's a plural sense to it as well. We're each a brick and 
We are being built into something. This again highlights the supremacy of Jesus because he's called the cornerstone or the foundation, right, uh, in other places. But also it talks about the unity that we share. We're literally cemented together side by side as one uh, building in the Lord. So all these images show us that, wow, God is uniting all the earth in Christ. So for each point, I put a prayer here, which is something that we can say to respond to this point. So you can write this down. Lord, fill us with your unifying spirit. If he's building us into a dwelling place, it says here, for his spirit, if we are becoming this temple, this household, if we are becoming this kingdom, then we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to exalt Jesus Christ because he is the cornerstone. Uh, because he is the firstborn son entitled to the inheritance, because he is the king of all kings, we have a responsibility together to exalt Jesus Christ among the nations. And we also have a responsibility to stay united. Listen, we don't create the unity. The Holy Spirit has already done that. But in the church, we enjoy the unity. And in the church, we build up the body of Christ. And so together, Lord, we say, fill us with your unifying spirit. Boy, has there ever been a week like this where we need to hear this truth that God is doing something about all the violence and the division and the racism, the enmity and the strife in the world. Don't we need this good news? God is uniting all the earth together in Christ. Boy, when you watch the headlines with a heavy heart and when you wonder, like I do, what what can unite a world that is so divided? What can heal hearts that are so injured? Uh, who can take people who are coming from such different backgrounds and, and heal and reconcile? Who can do it? Who can heal all national rivalries? Who can heal all racial hostilities? Who can heal every warring tribe on the face of the planet? Hey, listen, only Jesus Christ. And in the church, we get this picture that God is uniting all the earth together, and it can only happen under the lordship of Jesus Christ. So, wow, God is uniting all the earth in Christ. And we respond by saying, Lord, fill us with your unifying spirit. That's number one. Number two, you can write this down. Wow, God is transforming the hardest hearts in Christ. God is transforming the hardest hearts in Christ. Moving on to chapter three now, Paul gets a little testimonial. Here's what he says. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, Assuming that, so he, he kind of breaks there and he, he goes into this interjection. You ever do that where you're talking and then you stop and start talking about something else because you wonder if the people know what you're about to talk about? Well, this is what he does. He says, uh, assuming you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, Paul is giving a testimony here of the time when he was saved, born again through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he was given his mission to go and make disciples of all nations. And I want to read from uh, Paul's story just so that we remind ourselves what happened to the author of this letter. In Acts chapter 9, here's what it says. But Saul, that was Paul back then, 
still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, the Christian way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now hold up! This guy is a murderer! He is the chief enemy of the Christian church. He's going from house to house and locking up men and women, bringing them back, forcing some of them to blaspheme, and then he is consenting to their death. Wow. Then it says in verse 3, Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. Suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he said, here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he's praying. And he has seen a vision of a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. Hey, that is salvation. That is, Paul would call himself the worst of sinners because he persecuted the church of God. And yet Jesus revealed himself to Paul from heaven and said, why do you persecute me? And this man was saved, he was baptized, and God said, you're going to be my missionary to the Gentiles to the ends of the earth. Wow, God is transforming the hardest hearts in Christ. Wow, wow, wow. God saved Paul by grace through faith and made him a messenger. Ironically, now he's in prison. So the persecutor is now the one in prison for his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we respond when we see God transforming the hardest hearts in Christ? Well, it gives us hope. It gives us hope because we can see that God can change any heart. Do you know that Jews did not associate with Gentiles? Gentiles were non-Jewish people. They didn't eat together they didn't, they didn't go to church together. They didn't go to the temple together. When, when Paul was arrested, do you know why he was arrested? Because the Jews accused him of bringing a Greek into the temple. And if you brought a Greek all the way into the temple grounds, the Greek person would be killed and you would be thrown in jail and you would be tried. So there was so much hostility. And let's face it, in our world today, there is still so much hostility because there's so much hatred in, in our hearts toward people who are different from us, people who are different in any way, in a different economic class, from a different nation, from a different background, of a different race. There's so much hatred for people who are different from us. And when I look into the Apostle Paul, I think, 
not him. He's not going to be the one to write most of the New Testament. God, how could you change him? God, how could you use him? And when we look into his heart, we learn a few things. We learn there's hope for us. Because no matter how mean we've been, no matter how hateful we've been, God could change our hearts. But we learn there's hope for the world too. Because even the worst person you see out there is not beyond the power of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You could write this down. Here's a prayer in response to this. Lord, transform us by your grace and truth. Lord, transform us by your grace and truth. There's an image of grace here and there's an image of truth. The Apostle Paul says, assuming you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. The grace of God means that we are given something we could never earn. Paul could never earn his way into heaven, ever. He had blood on his hands. Nothing he could do could fix the bad that he had done. And yet God gave him grace. God allowed him to to get something unmerited. And have you received grace from God through Jesus Christ? The Bible says that we are saved by grace, through faith. It is the gift of God, not by work, so that no one can boast. And we have to learn that God's grace is something we will never deserve. We can never work our way into God's favor. Hey, have you been transformed by God's grace? We also learn about God's truth. It says here that God is gracious, right? But it says that it was given to me for you. In verse 3, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. So God had to reveal himself to us or we could never know who he was. Now listen, we live in a day today when people think they can just make up anything they want about God. They think that truth comes from inside of themselves and we reject that. We think that truth has to come from heaven. And while we're not going to see a blinding light, right, and hear a voice from heaven, God authorized messengers to speak on his behalf. Uh, We're told that the Bible is God-breathed. And we're told that the messengers that he empowered spoke for him. So the Apostle Paul says that I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed in his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So we see that there was this mystery in the Old Testament. Everything was leading to something, a Messiah, a Savior who would come, but it was not all exactly spelled out. People loved to look into it, but they didn't know when it was going to happen. Now this mystery was revealed that Christ Jesus would come down from heaven to die on the cross and then to rise again, to ascend to heaven, and then he would send people to the ends of the earth to save people, not only from Jerusalem and Israel, but from every single nation. And Paul said that this was a mystery, but now it's clear to him and it's clear to others. Wow. So he's been transformed by grace, but he's also been transformed by truth. Truth that God has revealed. Now listen, do you want to know God? Do you want to know God better? The way to know God better is through his word. Because we have to accept that knowing God's word means we have to believe the message about the Messiah that was delivered by the messengers of God. And if we don't believe the message from heaven if we don't believe the Messiah that the message talks about, and if we don't believe the messengers got it right, we can't know God. It's only through the Messiah that we can know God. So, hey, we have to ask God to transform us by his grace and by his truth. And let me ask you this. Have you been born again through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ like the Apostle Paul? Can you say in your life, I once was blind 
but now I see. Not physically blind, but spiritually I couldn't see God. Spiritually I couldn't see where I was going. Spiritually I didn't know right or wrong, and I was heading down the wrong path. But then Jesus opened my eyes. Can you say that? Maybe it happened when you were six. Maybe it happened when you were 60. But it has to happen at a point in your life where Jesus opens your eyes. He's the light of the world. And guess what? It doesn't matter how bad, wicked, wretched, horrible you think you've been. Wow. God is transforming the hardest hearts in Christ. Number one, wow, God is uniting all the earth in Christ. Lord, fill us with your unifying spirit. Number two, wow, God is transforming the hardest hearts in Christ. Lord, transform us by your grace and truth. Number three, jot this down. Wow, God is preparing an eternal inheritance in Christ. Verse 6 says this. This mystery is that the Gentiles, by the way, the Apostle Paul would have never, never, never said this. Never. If you held a gun to his head, he would have never said this before. The Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This is a transformed man. He loves those that he was taught to hate. He receives those that he was taught to reject. And he's in jail for trying to reach those who he didn't even care about before. Wow, that's a portrait of Christian love. The Gentiles are fellow heirs. We're going to focus in on that idea of being an heir. What does it mean to be an heir? It means that you're entitled to an inheritance. And we as Christians have a promised inheritance together. We will spend eternity in glory with our Father and with one another. And he's given everything to his son Jesus, and Jesus is then going to give it to us. Hey, listen, this idea of receiving heaven as an inheritance is actually really humbling. Because you don't get an inheritance because you've earned it. You get an inheritance because you are related to somebody who is deciding to be gracious toward you with what belongs to them. And in this case, we have the father who owns everything, and he's given the inheritance to the son, and Jesus is sharing it with us. That's the only way that we're getting to heaven. Listen, the only way you and I are getting into heaven is if Jesus hands it to us. That's so humbling. I read three funny stories about inheritances this week. Uh, there are people who have unlikely inheritance stories. So one story said this, what could be more random than having your name chosen out of a phone book? Luis Carlos de Norona Cabral de Camara, a Portuguese aristocrat, selected random people from a telephone book to be his heirs. He picked them in the presence of two witnesses 13 years before his death. Now maybe you've never seen a phone book in your life, for you, so you younger folk, I'm going to give you a picture of it. This is what a phone book looks like. And he just picked a group of people. You, 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 to share his fortune. He picked them 13 years in advance. Then when he died at age 42, uh, some of his beneficiaries were so shocked when they got the call that a stranger had left them a fortune that they initially believed they were being scammed. But it wasn't a scam. What did they do to earn that fortune? Um, had their name listed in a phone book, that, which makes me think maybe I should still do that. How crazy is that? There's another story that's even crazier. 
Leona Helmsley, a billionaire New York businesswoman, renowned for her tough demeanor, had a soft spot for her dog. Her dog was named Trouble. We've got a picture here of her and her dog, and her dog named Trouble. That's Trouble. She bought the Maltese after the death of her husband, Harry, according to ABC News. She and her pet motored around town in a stretch limousine. She fed the pooch crab cakes and cream cheese, pampered pooch. When she died in 2007, she left trouble, get this, $12 million. A $12 million inheritance left to her dog through a trust fund. The judge thought it was a little excessive, and so he somehow reduced the pooch's inheritance to $2 million, uh, but it still had uh, trouble, still had a great life of ease because there was a caretaker assigned to her around the clock, cost $100,000 for the caretaker to take care of the dog. That is how an inheritance worked. What did that dog do to deserve the inheritance? Nothing. There's a third story about a woman who was working in Argentina just as a maid, and somehow she discovered she never knew her father. She discovered that her birth father was actually a wealthy landowner. She believed she may have been entitled to some of the inheritance in the estate, so she went to court. She looked into the records, and after a legal battle where she had to prove her DNA link, she was awarded an inheritance of $40 million. $40 million because she found out who her father really was. Now listen, all three of those stories, they illustrate one thing. An inheritance is just handed to you. It's just handed to you. And it's yours because the person who had it wanted to give it to you. That's the way we get into heaven. We get into heaven because of God's good will. We get into heaven, all of us, everyone who's going to be there was handed the same thing from the hand of Jesus Christ. The inheritance of heaven. Our Father is pleased to hand us heaven. And listen, nothing on earth can ruin our glorious future. Wow! God is preparing an eternal inheritance in Christ. Jot this down. Here's a prayer. Lord, fill us with hope for the future. Based on what God is doing, Lord, fill us with hope for the future. I'm reminded that Paul was in jail. I've mentioned that a few times while he wrote this letter. Sometimes I imagine what it would be like for the Roman soldier who was chained to Paul all day long. I mean, he had to get nosy. He had to wonder what Paul was writing, right? He didn't know at the time it was the Bible. But I wonder if the Roman soldier just kind of peeked over, you know, what, what, what's this Jewish prisoner writing now? This strong, big, tough Roman soldier. He's just peeking. And the things he would hear this man say, right, sound ridiculous. I mean, he'd be so confused. I have a kingdom. I'm a child of God. I, what? What? Your kingdom? Who do you think you are? It had to be shocking to see. But Paul knew who he was, and he knew who we were, and he knew where we were headed. And I don't know about you, but I need that. I need to be reminded of who we are in Christ. I need to be reminded of where we are going in Christ. How we are all going to arrive safely into the kingdom of God. How we are all one in Christ. How we are all the same, the family of God. How there is an inheritance that he's going to give to us regardless of, of what we've done in life. It's just by grace. Hey, no matter how messed up this world becomes when you look at the future, no matter how confused or afraid you are, no, 
no matter how beat down you are or in this world, no matter how mistreated or ignored or rejected we feel, together we will inherit heaven. It's ours. Jesus is already there. He went to prepare a place for us. And soon he will come back. So we must not lose heart. Hey, it's so easy to lose heart. It's so easy to lose heart. But wow, God is uniting all the earth in Christ. Wow, God is transforming the hardest hearts in Christ. Wow, God is preparing an eternal inheritance in Christ. That's what I want to be filling my mind and my heart with. Why don't we respond to these amazing truths that we've heard today in God's word through prayer. Let's pray. Father, Lord Jesus, we ask that you would fill us with your unifying spirit. Unite us as a church across the world. What an impossible prayer. But we pray that you would knit our hearts together in love so that we might be rooted and grounded in the love that you showed us. Jesus, we invite you to transform us by your grace and your truth. How the world needs to know that you're transforming the hardest hearts in Christ. And I pray right now for someone who may be watching this and maybe for the first time they realize that they stand guilty before an almighty God of sin and that they need to be saved, to be rescued. Maybe they're realizing that they were blind, but now they can see. And I pray that if there are any who are ready to receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, that they would just say out loud with me right now, Lord Jesus, be my Savior. You can say that right now. You can say it. You can say, Lord Jesus, open my eyes. Promise me heaven. And Father, we're so grateful that you have an inheritance waiting for us. Fill us with hope for the future. We don't know what's coming next week or next month. We don't know what's coming. But fill us with hope for the future. Remind us that together we will arrive safely in your kingdom. And help us, Lord, to look around to be filled with love for those who we are going to spend eternity with. And I pray for those who perhaps this morning have invited you to be Savior and Lord. Remind them that heaven is not something they will ever earn. It's simply handed to them because Jesus Christ died on the cross to take away our sins because he rose again in power and glory. Jesus, you are the cornerstone. Jesus, you are the firstborn Son of God. Jesus, we believe that you alone are the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the rightful ruler of this world and the next world. And so we worship you and we give you all the glory in the church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.